London Calling. London Walks Connecting. London Walks here with your daily London fix. Story time. History time. It's July 29th. And you know what? I'm thinking we should contraflow this one. July 29th is the opening day of the 1948 London Olympics. Everybody's going there. And that in itself is reason enough to give it a miss. Similarly, July 29th, 1981. Prince Charles marries his commoner, Lady Diana Spencer. Everybody's jumping on that bandwagon. All the more reason for steering clear. How's that sage old piece of advice go? Always drink upstream from the herd. So that's what we're going to do. Head off the beaten path. Go where the mob doesn't go. Very London walks that. So we're heading back to 1728. We've just put in at Old Slaughter's Coffee House in St. Martin's Lane. It's a good place to hang out in, Old Slaughter's. You rub elbows with famous people. The American Ben Franklin, for example. Henry Fielding, the novelist. Dr. Johnson, the great man of letters. Gainsborough and Hogarth, the artists. And good things happen there as well as good conversation. Famously, the founding of the RSPCA, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. That's nearly a century in the future, though. We're in there today, July 29th, 1728. Just chilling, sitting quietly in a corner with a pipe and a mug of coffee and a supply of newspapers. That's what I really like about old slaughters. It's got a closet full of newspapers, including lots of back issues. I'm looking at the latest issue of the London Journal, reading about a London woman named Mary Edge. Mary Edge made the papers. Look at this, for heaven's sakes. It says she was committed to Newgate for uttering treasonable words against His Majesty King George. Wonder what she said. Wonder who turned her in. Lesson learned, though. In London, in 1728, you got to be careful what you say and who you're saying it to, who might overhear it. And I have to say, London seems pretty accident-prone in 1728. Lots of serious injuries. A man riding home to Highgate, thrown from his horse and breaking his neck. And a boy playing on the rails at the fleet ditch, falling in and breaking his thigh. And a man working on the gateway on London Bridge, falling off his ladder and breaking his leg. And a scourer's boy on Puddle Dock Hill, hanging clothes to dry on poles. The lad fell down into the street and was, according to the newspaper, miserably shattered and bruised. Like the others, he's in hospital. And some serious complaints about Geneva houses near Tower Hill. Yes, Geneva houses. They'll be places serving that new craze, gin. They haven't wasted any time in getting a bad reputation. They're disorderly, 
They're harboring thieves and street robbers. They're giving rise to lots of mischief. And how about those gentlemen on Thames Street? Wonder if they'd just come out of a Geneva house. They met up with a citizen and his wife. The three gentlemen decided they were going to kiss the citizen's wife. The citizen said, no, you don't. One of the gentlemen drew his sword and stabbed the poor man, six inches deep, just below his breast. The hue and cry went up. The watch and constables got there in no time. The three gentlemen resisted them, but were finally seized and sent to the compter. The surgeon, looking after the wounded citizen, said his wound would be fatal. And mad dogs and Londoners go out in the midday sun. Some boys were playing with a dog in Sweeten's Alley. A porter came running down the alley. The dog went for him and, according to the paper, tore his leg in a dreadful manner. And then there's a servant to the brickmaker in Kennington. He was found hanging from a tree in South Lambeth. He was bit by a mad dog about a month ago. And now he's a suicide. And that's just a casual glance at one page. Time to order a second coffee and get stuck into the bills of mortality. Boy, do they make fascinating reading, let alone somber reading. And they really set you thinking. I looked at an issue for earlier in the year. It laid out the London Bill of Mortality for the last week in January. First of all, that word bill is unnerving. It pretty much is saying, you pay up in deaths, London, and your bill this week is 634 dead Londoners. Newly dead Londoners. As for new Londoners, babies, that same week there were 410 of them. We'll be circling back to that figure. Anyway, the bills of mortality list the cause of the death and the ages of the deceased. That week, there were nearly 40 different causes of death. The big killer was something called convulsion. It did for 169 Londoners. Fever claimed another 89 lives. Consumption killed 82. Old age got in on the act. It took off 66 elderly Londoners. Smallpox bagged another 52. And then it starts to get seriously weird. This hardly bears thinking about, but apparently troubles with their teeth did for 49 Londoners. Dropsy dropped another 22 into the grave. Something called Tissic. No, I hadn't heard of it either. Finished off 17 that week. Tissic was something bronchial. Asthma, bronchitis, coughing, wheezing, that sort of thing. And then we come to the malady known as Rising of the Lights. It did for another four Londoners. Yes, well, you might rub your ears. Rising of the Lights. That's what it was called. It was a medical condition characterized by difficulty in breathing, by choking, those tens of thousands of COVID victims on ventilators. I suppose that was our version of rising of the lights. Then there was water in the head. That did for three Londoners that week. Hydrocephalus, I think we'd call it. 
It's apparently rare today. Obviously, it wasn't all that rare 300 years ago. And that brings us to horseshoe head. How's that for a descriptor for an ailment? We learn from Chambers Encyclopedia, published in this very year, 1728, that horseshoe head was a disease in infants, wherein the sutures of the head are too open or too great a vacuity is left between them. And there was rickets and pleurisy and jaundice and stoppage in the stomach and worms and mortification, gangrene in other words, and French pox, yes, syphilis, and bloody flux, bloody diarrhea we'd say today, and something called purple. Turns out purple was any dark red or purplish lesion of the skin brought on by malignant fevers. Well, all of this is pretty horrifying. And yes, pretty slapdash. Pathology had a long way to go 300 years ago. But as extraordinary as this medical tour has been, I've been holding back on you. The most horrifying thing of all was the age breakdown of the fatalities. More than a third of them were under two years old. Another 9% were two to five-year-olds. Little kids, infants, did more dying, a lot more dying, than anybody else in the London of 300 years ago. If you were a little kid, you had about a one in five chance of not making it out of childhood. And the other thing, of course, is that ratio of deaths to births. 634 buried, 410 christened. You look at the bills of mortality, those are the sort of figures you see week in and week out. What you'd expect from that is that London's population would be going off a cliff edge, dropping like a stone. It isn't. It's steadily increasing. How do you account for that when a lot more Londoners are dying than are being born? Only one way to account for it. Immigration. People coming to London. And now ask the question, who are those people who are flocking to London? How old are they? They're not old people. They're not children. Kids, unless they're Oliver Twist, don't come to London. And probably not very many of them are people in their 30s and 40s. Because by that age, people are usually pretty well settled. Who's that leave? That's right. That leaves young people. Rising 20-year-olds, young people in their 20s. Nothing sedate or settled or old about London. This was a city that had the edge and energy of youth. A city full of burst and bustle and hustle. A city with a lot of ampage, a lot of charge. A city on the make. Okay, I'm down to the dregs of that second cup of coffee. Time to upstakes. Time for us to take our leave of Old Slaughter's Coffee House and 1728. Yes, time to make a Today in London recommendation. And yes, you probably guessed. London's great medical museum, the Welcome Collection. How could it be otherwise, given where we've just come from? You've been listening to the Today in London History podcast emanating from www.walks.com.
home of London Walks, London's signature walking tour company. London's local, time-honored, fiercely independent, family-owned, just the right size walking tour company. And as long as we're at it, London's multi-award-winning walking tour company, indeed, London's only award-winning walking tour company. And here's the secret. London Walks is essentially run as a guides cooperative. That is the key to everything. It's the reason we're able to attract and keep the best guides in London. You can get schlubbers to do this for 20 pounds a walk, but you cannot get world-class guides, let alone accomplished professionals. It's not rocket science. You get what you pay for. And just as surely, you also get what you don't pay for. Back in 1968, when we got started, we quickly came to a fork in the road. We had to answer a searching question. Do we want to make the most money, or do we want to be the best walking tour company in the world? You want to make the most money, you go the schlubber's route. You want to be the best walking tour company in the world, you do whatever you have to do to attract and keep the best guides in London. You want them guiding for you, not for somebody else. Bears repeating, the way we're structured, a guides cooperative, is the key to the whole thing. It's the reason for all those awards. It's the reason people who know go with London Walks. It's the reason we've got a big following, a lively, loyal, discerning, fun following. Quality attracts quality. It's the reason we're able, uniquely, to front our walks with accomplished, in many cases, distinguished professionals, barristers, doctors, geologists, museum curators, archaeologists, historians, criminal defense lawyers, Royal Shakespeare Company actors, a bevy of MVPs, Oscar winners, people who've won the Guide of the Year Award. Well, you get the idea. As that travel writer famously put it, if this were a golf tournament, every name on the leaderboard would be a London Walks guide. And as we put it, London Walks guides make the new familiar and the familiar new. And on that agreeable note, come then, let us go forward together on some great London walks. And that's by way of saying, good Londoning one and all. Nothing to add except, welcome back. You were sorely missed. See you tomorrow.